Have you ever had a situation where you feel like you've been wronged? Maybe you got a, a bad deal. Maybe it was a time where you felt taken advantage of or maybe victimized by the system. Uh, my family and I like to eat out. And one of the places we have enjoyed going over the years is a place that serves those buttery garlic breadsticks. And they advertise that those breadsticks are unlimited. You can eat all that you want. And that's been our experience. But a couple of years ago, maybe eight or 10 years ago, the company had an idea. They were going to start charging for unlimited breadsticks. They only charged a dollar per family. And it wasn't a big financial investment, but it kind of changed my expectations. You know, before I paid a dollar for unlimited breadsticks, when I went into this establishment and I was enjoying a meal with my family and, you know, they came around with breadsticks and they ran out, no big deal. I was patient. And even if the little lady with the basket didn't make it fast enough, at least, you know, I, I was gracious. But now that I'm a paying customer, I mean, paying a dollar for unlimited breadsticks, when I want a breadstick, I want a breadstick, right? And they better not run out because I have paid for a unlimited service, right? That situation and that system kind of left me wondering, like, isn't there something that needs a change here, right? Let me guarantee you, there are way bigger problems in our world today than $1 unlimited breadsticks. I was glad to see that the company really changed that policy. It didn't last very long. Over the past several weeks, we have been trying to wrestle with what the kingdom of God is all about and how it changes everything, right? Well, we've been discovering that the kingdom of God hinges on the character and the activity of God, our King. And by understanding God's heart and his ways, we begin to grasp how to define the kingdom of God and maybe more importantly, how to embrace the way that the kingdom of God impacts our daily lives. Central to the character and heart of God is justice. Throughout scripture, one of the clearest and constant descriptions of God is that he reigns in justice and in righteousness. Now, these two words are actually really more like one word or one idea. They come from the same root Hebrew word group. They speak to God's eternal character and his divine nature. Our God is a God of justice. The psalmist declares and praises God for this numerous times. Psalm 33, 5, David says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalm 36, 6, your righteousness is like the highest mountain, your justice like the great deep. Psalm 40, oh, he also, you, Lord, preserve both people and animals. I about skipped over that, but I felt like it was God kind of reminded me that animals are important, especially last week when I kind of got on a soapbox about animals not being as more important than a companionship of humans. But anyway, I digress again. Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Psalm 89, 14 and Psalm 97, 2 both tell us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And then Psalm 99, 4, the king is mighty. He loves justice. You, God, have established equity. As you walk through the pages of the Bible and reading about how God interacts with all of creation, you see this character trait on display in many ways. How he expresses instructions for life. How he remains faithful to his promise to live in covenant relationship with Israel. How he punishes wrongdoers. 
He expresses his character by what he expects of those who make up the kingdom of God. God's heart reveals that he is constantly concerned for the dignity of all people created. That he wants every person to flourish through his gracious and loving provisions. And that he offers protection for all people even especially those who find themselves marginalized, people who are poor, the orphans, those who live in a foreign land, the most vulnerable, those who are often taken advantage of or forgotten. God describes Moses this way. He says, God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great mighty, awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the, fire, the fearless, fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. When you hear the word justice, what might come to mind, you might think of like right and wrong or even fair. But the Hebrew understanding of justice is more of a vision of a beautiful order to all of life. It comes from the Hebrew word mishpat. It refers to the treating of people equitably, regardless of their race, their gender, their socioeconomic status, or their ability to contribute to society. It's about maintaining order the way God created it to be, rightful harmony and the flourishing of all creation. As we learned from Genesis 1 last week, God created all things, the entire world, he intends it to be maintained. He offers equity and dignity to all people because every person is created in his image. And therefore, every person is worthy of value, dignity, and respect. There are two words that we hear a lot about. We hear the word about equality or equity. And equality means same and equity means fairness. They're both part really of a continuum. You might say that all people should be able to reach equality regardless of their starting points. That's equitable. Jeremy Treat in his book that we've been using, Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything. In chapter 7, he talks about this issue of justice from God's perspective. And he reminds us that Scripture calls us to recognize the dignity and value of all people. He points to God's heart for the unborn, those with special needs. Orphans, immigrants, the elderly, the oppressed, even our enemies. I'd encourage you to read chapter 7 this coming week. In the Old Testament, God's law prohibited the mistreatment of any person that would fit into any of those categories I just mentioned. We learned that we're not allowed to pick and choose whose dignity we defend. In the New Testament, Jesus models the character of God, and he defines how his followers love all people by living under God's rule and reign, being compassionate to the hurting, generous to those in need, loving towards our enemies, and extending God's mercy and justice to all people. Treat says this, the call to justice is not simply about championing an issue, but rather embodying a kingdom. Pastor and author Tim Keller, who is a great thinker, he's put a lot of time and energy of speaking a biblical perspective into the issue of justice. He writes, Biblical justice is not, first of all, a set of bullet points or a set of rules and guidelines. It's rooted in the very character of God, and it's the outworking of that character, which is never less than just. You might Google Tim Keller essays on justice or pick up a copy of his book, Generous Justice. Those are great reads to put your mind around this topic. 
Unfortunately, most cultures in our world today still value people and give them dignity and respect based on their race, their gender, their socioeconomic status, the family that one was born into, or how much that person can contribute to society. But respect and dignity and value are not to be earned or achieved. They are bestowed by God. Pastor and civil rights activist John Perkins says, you don't give people dignity, you actually affirm it. The kingdom of God is defined by God's heart. And those who live under God's rule and reign see his image in all people. Respect, dignity, and value, these are things that come because we're made in the image of God. The unborn, those with a physical or mental disability, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, the elderly, those, anybody who, are diff- who might be different from us. Treat says this, acknowledging the dignity of all people reshapes the way we think of justice and mercy. We're not driven primarily by people's needs, but by their dignity. In other words, when we see someone sleeping on the street, I see them as an image bearer of God more than a homeless person. When a teenage girl gets pregnant, I don't see her and her child as problems to be dealt with, but as people to be loved. Even when someone's being cruel to me, I'm called to see the image of God in them before I focus on their wrongful actions. The dignity of all human life reminds us that we're never merely talking about issues. We're talking about people, image bearers of God who are worthy of respect. The issue of justice and the lack thereof is not a new problem, and it certainly hasn't gone away. In our current culture and in the country that we live in, it's been misinterpreted, debated, politicized, and caused division to a place where it's been stripped away from the heart of God and made into something that we either want to rally behind or to dismiss that it's even an issue. Was God's people, people of the kingdom of God, Justice is not merely a suggestion to be led to a good idea. It's not something for just those few socially minded Christians. It's for all of us. As God's people, it is not just a suggestion. It is a command. God is a God of justice, and we are called to be people of justice who reflect his character in the way that we live and the way that we love others, extending God's loving rule and reign, restoring his design order and beauty to all of creation. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. In Isaiah 117, God says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. In Micah 6, 8, God inspires the prophet Micah to say these words. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God's heart for justice for all people must become our marching orders for those of us who claim him as our king. To act justly is not just to do right and not do wrong. It's actually to go above and beyond to restore justice, offer mercy, to restore the wholeness and beauty God designed. Justice and mercy are inseparable with God. We must see others the way God sees them. We must let let God's heart motivate us into the work, being involved in what God is doing to affirm the dignity and respect of all people. We must become active in the work of that restoration process because it's essential for, the he- for heaven to come to earth. 
Today, we want to explore this issue of justice, working to restore the respect and dignity for all people, not in some faraway place that's beyond arm's length, but right here, real close to home, in this congregation and also in the community in which we live, because Jesus is our King. For the next several moments, I, I want to have a conversation with a few people from our congregation who have experienced injustice firsthand. They come today to share from their own vulnerability, from their own perspective, not just so we can learn, but also so that we can respond. And so I'd like for you to join me in welcoming a few guests to the stage. Would you join me now? Our first guest today is Chris Fleming. Chris and her husband, Brian, and their family have been a part of the Evansville community for several years and part of our Crossroads family for the same amount of time. So Chris, thanks for being here today. Thank you for the work you do. She's the director, uh, executive director of the Potter's Wheel here in Evansville. Chris, I wonder if we might start at a place that just helps us maybe get a working definition of injustice and what it looks like. So would you mind just maybe putting a face on that for us and explaining injustice? Sure, thank you for having me. Um, when, when in our work at the Potter's Wheel, when we think about injustice, I, I just can't help but think about the word trapped. People who are trapped in an abusive relationship or a family or uh, in, in education inequity um, or a a job that doesn't pay the bills, even though they're working and working and working, or um, even even in a system that is unjust, that um, that those would be people that are trapped, and uh, we've seen that um, just in some stories at the Potter's Wheel. One of our favorite little girls um, is trapped in the fact that she has to sleep in a bedroom called the poop room in her family because that's where the family dog uh, goes to the bathroom. Uh, in another story, we know a family who um, they're, they're not English speakers um, and they pay $300 a month in a rent to own situation to an out of town owner. Uh, and in their home, they have no electricity or appliances or flooring. Another one of the young ladies, a very young mom that we've gotten to know, um, in order to provide housing for herself and her baby, uh, she does favors for a much older man. These are some of the places where we've seen people be trapped and just injustice in our city. I know none of those situations you just mentioned are projects for you. They're not just your work to do. These are people. These are people you have a relationship with. Maybe tell us uh, about someone specifically that comes to your mind, breaks your heart when you think of the injustice in our community. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to share the story of Renee. She is a middle-aged woman who spent her whole life here in Evansville. And uh, it has been a difficult life for her. She lost a child, uh, was in a bad car accident, and uh, has dealt with addiction most of her life. Um, so just in an attempt to try to get to know her and understand her story a little bit, I, um, I asked her this question. I said, Renee, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
she kind of waved me off and, you know, looked down and, and she said, oh, I don't know. She said, I didn't finish school and um, I, I grew up in a bad part of town and we just never thought about that kind of thing. And that just stunned me. I, I thought every little girl, every little kid thought about what they wanted to be when they grew up. Talk about being trapped. She had never, even as a child, dreamed about a, a good future. And I can tell you that even as a middle-aged woman, she, she was having a hard time picturing her life as anything good. You know, and I just couldn't help but wonder what would have happened if she had had somebody there with her and help, that had helped her dream about her future. And what if they had told her that there's a creator of the universe out there and her creator who is crazy about her and that he put all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities inside of her and that was her job to discover what he had called her to in her life. I think that would have made all the difference for Renee. I know there's a lot of organizations in our community who are trying to help people and working hard at that. Uh, what, how does God's heart motivate what the Potter's Wheel is about? How, how does that kind of manifest itself? Yeah. Well, the scriptures that you shared, Phil, really do tell us about how God is a champion for the marginalized. And that when Jesus came to earth, he actually became the marginalized. And that concept uh, really became real to me in 2009. Um, I was on retreat, and um, God just gave me a picture of Jesus walking along a path and all of a sudden stopping because he had noticed something. It was a small animal um, that was broken or wounded at the side of the road. And he stooped down, and with his healing hand had restored it to full health. There was so much value in that little object that um, he, he assigned that kind of value. Something I would have completely overlooked. It seemed completely insignificant to me. Jesus found value. And that really has shaped my life since that time. And it really shapes a lot of what we do at Potter's Wheel. You know, we look for where's the brokenness? Where is there a place where we can speak truth and life about God as a creator that loves people and values all people? And, and how can we help people discover his vision for their lives? What's a tangible way you see injustice being overcome in our community? Um, there are lots of organizations, as you said, that are doing great work. I can just tell you that at Potter's Wheel, um, that little girl that I told you about, some volunteers and some staff members from our after-school program have volunteered to go into the home and actually do the cleanup that is necessary for that little girl to thrive, to have a clean place to sleep. Um, the family that I told you about that has, um, that uh, isn't speaking English, and, um, and is having trouble with their living situation, um, God in his infinite wisdom has 
provided a family right here from Crossroads that speaks that same language. And they were there yesterday at that house figuring out how can we fix it? How can we make this a livable place for this family? And then the young lady that um, is living in a less than desirable home, um, she's been befriended by some staff and some volunteers um, from Crossroads as well. And um, they've helped her find a job and they're looking, she's looking for alternative housing right now. And um, she's actually the last several weeks been to church with them as well. So um, those are just some, some stories, you know, but what about Renee? You know, Renee, unfortunately, um, we've not been able to reach her. But that's the reason that we spend every day of the week at Glenwood Leadership Academy with children, hoping to reach them with those hopes and dreams for their future, to be able to communicate about the creator that loves them and values them. Poverty is such a very tangible way we see injustice. And how could somebody learn more about this? What are some opportunities they could uh, take to serve, put action to uh, being, picking up this cause of justice? Yeah. Well, this week, the Bridges Out of Poverty um, meeting is going on here. And I would just really recommend it. I'm going to attend. Um, there's always so much to learn about the motivations and the thought patterns of people who are experiencing poverty that I think we can all really gain, gain from. And um, I'd love to have you come and help serve at Potter's Wheel, the precious people that come through the doors there. Um, and you can talk to me more about that or um, just check out our website. We've got some opportunities on there as well. Well, Chris, we are honored to be partnering with Potter's Wheel and your leadership. Thank you that you're not just a partner, you're a friend, you're part of the body here at Crossroads, and uh, we're honored to get to labor with you, and also thanks for being a good example of what it looks like to, to live in love like Jesus. Thank you, guys. Yeah. My next guest is Josh Armstead. Josh has been part of the Crossroads family since 2013. And Josh, I'm sure as people hear what Chris just shared, their minds like racing, like those type of things happen right here in Evansville. And I think when it comes to injustice based on race, there is still a misconception that that's something that happens somewhere else other than this nice, sweet little Midwestern town we call Evansville, right? We see it on the news. We see those things happen in other communities, but I think most people are maybe still blinded that that actually still is happening right here in our own community. You have a unique opportunity to share with us because you're a black man, you live in a predominantly white community, a predominantly, you attend a, a predominantly white church. I'd love for you to share, like, what does injustice look like to you in this community and in this congregation? Well, at first when I came to Crossroad, I was a little nervous um, because it was a predominant white church and and then after that I got comfortable because people welcomed me to church and and got to know me because a friend of mine Dominique he had me come to the service one time and and after that it just I just loved it and so far I had friends come to this church and they didn't really felt welcome because it was mostly predominant they haven't really got outside of their surroundings to feel the different culture of someone else's I know some of the experiences you had have been extremely painful. Um, would you mind sharing just a couple of those? Yes, sir. Um, times that my fiance and I, we go out to eat, 
And you know, it takes time for the servers to come to serve us or greet us. And, and she knows, like, I can't believe this thing's happened to us. And I was like, well, it's, it's the way the world is, you know? We gotta overcome it, it's together. And also, you know, like, now the things that I have to isolate myself from is different surroundings that I used to be aware of, meaning, like, with the pro police brutality and the racial profilings, it just isolated me and making me aware of my surroundings that I used to wasn't aware of. Hmm. How have you seen uh, the effort toward justice kind of taking root? I mean, it, it looks like it just kind of keeps snowballing and gets worse and worse and worse. But do you see anything changing? Uh, it may be in your lifetime or in current reality. Is there progress being made in the areas of justice? Yes, sir. Well, we all can see over the whole world, we all come together to march for one cause, equal. You know, we all God's creation. It don't matter, you black, white, whatever. We all need to come together and program our minds that we need to study each other's differences. That's what you be aware of. Just because I'm black, you white, we should not have no disagreement. We should come together as one, mm -hmm. and that will stop the problem. It starts in our household. Mm -hmm. I know this is something that's personally impactful to you and something that you're personally committed to. Can you give me an example of something that you've done personally to uh, kind of combat the injustice around you? Well, I just try to speak to people that never go outside of their surroundings, to try different things in life. Don't be afraid of the unknown. You know, it's, it's different things out there that you can try that you might like. So I just try to be positive because the, I'm, just, I'm just so thankful to God that I can be up here on this stage to share as being a black American, a predominant white church of the thoughts of being a black man in America. Well, Josh, I've enjoyed getting to know you more and just hearing your heart, your love for the Lord, your love for all people, and uh, your love for your family. Um, I'm glad we're not just uh, joined together because we like the same college basketball team, but actually because you're my brother, you're my brother in Christ, and um, I'm glad you're part of the Crossroads family. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. My next guest is Tycho Jackson, and Tycho and her husband Paul have been worshiping here at Crossroads since 2012. They have two children, and uh, Tycho, thanks for being here today. I think it'd be really in helpful and, and just uh, interesting for people just to hear your story, like how you came to this country and uh, what's been really uh, impressionable and impactful in your life. Well, I was born and raised in Japan, and I went to Australia in high school where I heard of Jesus and met Jesus for the very first time in my life. And I moved to Los Angeles, California in 2001 as an international student, and in that same year, I was baptized into Christ. I met my husband, Paul, who is a black man and who also is from Evansville. And we got married and uh, we moved back to Evansville in 2008. Um, we've been a Crossroads member since 2010. Okay. I know for you, um, life has not always been easy. There have been a lot of challenges. I'd like for you to just, if you will, share some of those challenges, some of those um, hurtful experiences that show the injustice that exists in our community and, and even our congregation. Well, when I walk, go out for a walk with my white friend and there's other people passing by us and both of us say hi to them, but they only look at my friend. They don't look at me and they don't even see me or say hi to me. That is hurtful. 
Um, I have been called racist by a leader of um, minority group before. Um, I also worked at a restaurant one time and this white lady who treated me really um, poorly and with hateful heart, um, later I found out that she was a member of Crossroads. I'm sorry for those things. I know they hurt. Um, I feel a hurt for you, but also um, I know they break God's heart. That's not how he designed life to be. I also know that people make just gross assumptions. They, they um, judge us on the things that are exterior. I know that you've been mislabeled uh, mis, uh, as being Korean or being Chinese, but you're Japanese. You know, those type of things only come through uh, only, the truth only comes through conversation, getting to know a person. And, and I'd like to know, like, what are some things that you are currently doing to pursue reconciliation? What are some things that you are trying to teach your kids or some of the things that you're trying to do to address the injustices around us? Before I became a member of the um, Unity and Reconciliation team, I really didn't understand racial division of this area. So I had to go onto the website um, and get the list of books, which I read a lot of, and I watched the videos and movies. So I, I educated myself first. Um, and then I asked my husband, who is a black man, if that what I read or what I have heard is true. Um, and also, um, it's an honor to serve as a member of the Unity and Reconciliation team, bringing awareness and creating conversations for our future generations. Um, my kids are non-white biracial teenagers now, so we had to sit them down and tell them what could happen to them so they're not unaware of the dangers out there. I know something that's really important to you is to be a good shepherd. I have seen you on a number of occasions with a, a large group of other Asian women that you are shepherding, that you are investing in to kind of help them navigate the path in this culture and in our community. Can you tell me a little bit what, what motivates you to do that and, and what benefits you have seen in that? Well, it's very simple. I speak their language. I know both cultures, theirs and ours here, and I have experienced the struggles in living in a foreign land myself. And if nobody else shares with them or tells them about the love of God or the creator, then how could they know that God exists, that he loves them? I should, so I just do it. Well, I know it's bearing fruit in their life. I can see the joy that uh, it's, it's so fun to watch you guys together because I could just sense that the, the Holy Spirit's doing something, and I know he's doing that through you. And so thanks for being willing and available. Thanks for being committed to uh, the cause of justice and for living that well. Thanks for being here today, Bruce Hoover. last guest is Carl Chapman. Carl and Kay have been married for 41 years, and for the last 20 plus of those, they have lived here in the Evansville community and also been a part of the Crossroads family. So, Carl, thanks for being here today. I would love for you to share, this, is, this cause of justice has been something that you have been committed to in your professional life, but also in your personal life. And I'd just like to know a little bit about that. Like, what opportunities have you had to address injustice in either of those parts of your life? 
Well, thanks for the chance. And uh, first, let me say I've got much to learn and improve upon. So these are just examples. I certainly don't hold myself out as the example, but hopefully these could be some examples for you to think of and, and really focused on the well-being of others uh, per Philippians 2.4. Uh, three that I might mention was I was at Vector in a long time. In the last few years that I was there, we really worked hard to focus on human equity, which we described as valuing every individual and their unique ability to contribute. Uh, second, we also, uh, a little while back, the last year or so, did fundraising, a few of us did, so that we could try to expand the number of minority and low-income students in the advanced classes at EVSC. They're terribly underrepresented, and I'm proud to say that uh, we've really seen a real pickup there. So it's been a really good thing. And finally, then after retirement, uh, I focused on faith-based investing, uh, really with a particular focus on uh, better housing. Wow. Thank you for your investment in those things. And I know that's something that you're personally uh, trying to lead out on and, and definitely respect you for that. You also serve on the Unity and Reconciliation team here at Crossroads. It's a group of people from our elders and, and other key leaders to just help us learn, but also kind of lead out with us in this area of, of justice. And uh, you, Tycho, and your teammates have done some really incredible work in a short amount of time. So thank you for that. I'd love to know just what are some of the maybe beginning like learnings that you guys have seen kind of bubble up as you've been working toward helping all of us be equipped to reflect God's heart in justice. Sure. I think really one of the big things is just working together. And both Josh and Tycho have talked about some particular issues and also some things they've experienced, but also things they see, uh, positives and some negatives. And so that's helped as we really have talked about uh, what are we seeing and how can we really work on reconciliation, which we know will be a very long-term process for us. I think we've also learned so much about what God has to say on this because there is so much that God has to say on this topic, maybe way beyond what we thought when we started. We wanted to have a simple statement that was sort of guide us and also guide the congregation, but as we did that, it became very difficult to sort of narrow it down. Mm -hmm. But hopefully we've got a statement there that can encourage. And so I would encourage people to go to cccgo.com slash lovelikejesus and really see the website and also the statement there that includes scriptural references. I'd also say that's been refreshed recently, and so if you looked at it sometime back, you may want to take another look at it. Um, but also, we end that statement with maybe what's most important, and that is that every person is made in God's image, with Genesis 1.27. We've also learned, though, that there are many ideas and philosophies on these topics, many of which have been terribly politicized. And we've learned that we need to always go back to God's view on reconciliation, which we tried to summarize in our statement. And we'll continue to work on refining a list of action items uh, with the elders, and there'll be more information forthcoming that the whole congregation can link into. Yeah. You're right. There's so much out there to learn. There's so many perspectives and so much like it feels overwhelming at times. It can, I think, paralyze us from learning anything or doing anything because we really don't maybe know where to start. I appreciate the team's work in kind of making that a little more succinct, a little more deliberate. Uh, what would you recommend as a good first step for somebody who's hearing this conversation today? A good first step, maybe a, an ongoing step somebody could take. Sure. Probably the, one of the easiest that we would say is one of the resources on the website is a book by uh, Mark Vrogrop. He's a pastor out of Indianapolis. It's called Weep With Me, How Lament Opens a Door for Racial Reconciliation. And not only is it a simple read, but it's a very disciplined approach to reconciliation, lays it out to focus on love, focus on listening, to lament, to learn, to leverage. And leverage is really just action. 
I would say that's one idea. One other one we would suggest uh, is a resource again on the website, and that would be for Evansville's Racial Unity Challenge. Again, providing very practical steps that people can take towards reconciliation. I wonder why do you think the church has a unique opportunity, I would even say a unique responsibility to lead out or to address injustice in our world? Yeah, I think it's a really simple answer, and you mentioned it earlier, Phil, but I've got to repeat it, and that's Micah 6.8, which is really to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That came from a long time ago. Well, I also mentioned there's a lot that we've learned and you can look at in the statement, but it really is our responsibility, as you've mentioned. But I also would want to mention there, there are really some terrible, very visible examples of injustice over the last year. But I wanted to note that our team was actually identified as a need back in early 2019 by the elders, so it's not really a reaction to that. It's because unity and reconciliation, which really are the key to justice, uh, are clearly central not only to the gospel, but to God's character. Well, thank you, Carl, for leading out in this along with Tycho and the rest of the team, uh, our elders and a group of people, the Unity and Reconciliation team. Thank you also for being active in this well before that and for being a good example for us to follow. Thanks for your commitment to that and uh, bringing the rest of us along in that too. Yeah. I appreciate all four of these sharing from their perspective today. They certainly are not representative of all the injustice in our world today, but they are people who are living on the front line. They're experiencing it personally. They're seeing it firsthand. And they also are committed to doing their part as well as equipping and, and encouraging all of us to do the same. You know, I really think that it takes all of us, if we want to reflect God's heart and, and truly understand justice but also demonstrate justice, it's first gonna take us listening to engage in relationship with others. People that are different from us, but are maybe within our own family, people that are in our neighborhoods, people that are in our workplaces, people that go to our kids' schools, or maybe they go to school with us. Those are opportunities for us to learn, to learn by listening and, and to engage in relationship, to, to move close instead of to be pulling away or, or even be repulsed. Our commitment to living out God's heart, a heart of justice, is, is a journey, a journey of listening, a journey of, of learning. But it can't just stop there also. It has to produce action. It has to be demonstrated. I mean, God demonstrated his justice, his reconciliation to us. And for us to emulate him, we have to also act as well to speak up for those who maybe don't have a voice in our community or in our society, and also to respond to opportunities that God places in our path, that we could just do good to those around us, to the person that's right in front of us, the, any person that we lock eyes with. We need to also rep, rep, recognize that we, we need to operate under an umbrella of grace. There will be times that we might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. We wanted to just offer our posture as a, as a posture of grace to say, like, we want to do whatever is up to us, whatever is within our ability to respond out of God's heart to those around us, offering equality, offering dignity, respect, and just uh, blessing to those, those around us. 
This is a challenge for us to take up, and I encourage you to continue to engage with maybe the four who are here with us today, but also all those around us as we continue just to reflect God's heart of justice. Would you thank my guests for being here today? You know, I feel we really just kind of began to scratch the surface of this idea of justice. We've addressed like poverty and race as, as two examples of injustice, but those two issues are way deeper than we can cover here this morning. And there are numerous other examples of injustice all around us. So I wanna encourage you to continue walking in this journey, continue to join in with us as we think about how we can understand God's heart of justice, but also demonstrate God's heart of justice. I would certainly point you to uh, two resources on our website, cccgo.com forward slash info has some of the learning opportunities and action steps that you could respond with today. And also the love like Jesus portion of our website. Both are resource there to equip us for that. You know, God's heart is a heart of justice, but God is also a God of reconciliation. Those two work hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. And we see that most, maybe we even see that best. When we think about how God interacted with us, how God reached out to us, he didn't keep us at arm's length. He didn't turn a blind eye, but instead he wrapped himself in human flesh. He came to our world, Jesus. He became our savior, which means he didn't convict the guilty, but he stepped into their spot. He took our place. We were all oppressed, blind, enslaved. We were all of those things because of our sin. But God reconciled us to himself and restored us to the beautiful vision he created us to have from the very beginning. I love how Paul describes that taking place in our life. In Romans chapter three, listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Break the yoke of oppression. Set the captive May the voice of confusion be brought to nothing. Break the bonds of division.
Let this be our declaration that we will not fear, but we will be a people who proclaim his justice and his mercy. Come on, sing it out. We will not fear. We will proclaim. We've been redeemed. You called us by name. Every one of us, yes, Jesus. We will not fear. We will proclaim. We've been redeemed. You've called us by name. Redeemed, you call us by name. You call us by name. 
Father, may we be a people who proclaim your love, who proclaim your light. God, we thank you for the way that you have drawn near to the lowly, the way that you care. It's in your name that we pray that we remember these things today. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a powerful way to just praise God for who he is, that his love endures forever. Hallelujah, God. We praise you for who you are. We want that to be our motivation as we leave this place today, our motivation to say, like, God, who you are is who I want to be like. And I want that to be true in the areas I think about this topic of, inju- of justice and injustice. You know, there's a lot of things that can motivate us. We can be motivated by, you know, encouragement. We can be motivated by challenge. Today, I want to encourage us to leave motivated by something we referred to earlier, lament. Lament might not be a familiar term for you, but I want you to understand that lament is a biblical concept that helps us to empathize with those around us, it, it creates a posture in us that says we want to weep with those who weep and, and mourn with those that mourn. It, it's also motivating us to respond, but it does so with the heart of God that's at the center of it. And so today as you leave, I want to, you to be encouraged and motivated by God's heart and to try to identify in some tangible way with those that are suffering from injustice. You know, it's said that you'll never really understand who a person is until you walked in their shoes. And it's really hard to do that on a practical way. And so what we wanted you to do is, is to maybe get a taste of that today. And so when you came in this morning, you should have received a little packet like this with a, a Easter invitation, but it also has a little pebble inside. And I want to encourage you right now, would you open up that packet and take that pebble out? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you right now, take that pebble and just put it in one of your shoes. You can choose whichever one you want. Just put it right there underneath the ball of your foot. You could probably already feel it now if you put some pressure on there. You know, I wanna encourage you to leave that pebble in your shoe for the rest of today. Let that uncomfortability just kinda help you maybe begin to think about what many in our community, even in our congregation, suffer because of the injustice that still remains in the world around us. Let it be a motivation to empathize and encourage and also to reach out, pursue justice in every tangible way possible because our motivation for that, our example for that is none other than God himself. And when we live like that, It really does change everything. I want to close just by borrowing a prayer of lament from Mark Vrogop. Would you pray with me? God, would you grant us the heart to weep with those who weep? Would you give us empathy and understanding? God, would you create trust where there is pain? Would you make your church the united bride you want her to be? Oh God, without you, nothing will ever change. In our pain and in our weariness, we express our hope that Jesus can change our hearts and unite the church. We believe the gospel is greater than our division. And we long for the day when the world will take note of how we love each other. So help us. Help us meet each other in this prayerful journey. Help us hear others as we weep together. 
that we might walk together. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen.